Good morning, and welcome to this first Sunday of 2022. Whether the festivities of the last few weeks filled you with joy or left you empty and a little bit flat, we come together as a family this morning to rest in God's presence. Just as we are with whatever is going on, may each and every one of us know God's love and acceptance this morning. This week, as I've been reflecting on the passage that Paul Bailey is going to speak to us about later on in the service, um, I have been uh, thinking about um, this well-known text, which is the gifts from the Magi. Um, The artistry and the literary significance of gold, frankincense, and myrrh is carefully recorded by Matthew and set to echo the Old Testament texts that see the tent, the tabernacle, the temple, as the only other space in which all three elements reside, so proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the embodiment of the new temple. And so with these thoughts in mind, please join with me in our call to worship this morning on screen. Please read the words in bold with me. Hmm. This could be a challenge. (laughs) Um, Are we going to be able to see the screen? Probably not. Let me read for you then the call to worship this morning. In Christ... The God of heaven has made his home on earth. Christ dwells among us and is one with us. Highest of all creation, he lives among the least. He journeys with the rejected and welcomes the weary. Come now all who thirst and drink the water of life. Come now all who hunger and be filled with good things. Come now all who seek and be warmed by the fire of love. Let us pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning and praise you for this wondrous reality that you came to dwell among us, that you are one with us. There is nothing that you cannot understand. Empathy beyond anything we can hope for from other people in our lives. Father, forgive us when we do not give you the reverence you deserve. When we forget you. When we fall short. We thank you that no matter what we have done, what we have said, what we've thought, that you love us completely loving God. We come to worship you today. We come to sing, to pray, to listen. You always hear us. Help us to hear you. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our opening praise in Christ alone. Well, girls and boys, it is just lovely to uh, be with you this morning at the start of this new year. 
Um, I hope you're all enjoying your break from school. I'm trying to spot the boys and girls. Are you all enjoying your break from school? I know I am. I am delighted to be off school for another day or two. And I want to start by asking you a question. I want you to think about the last two weeks. Does anybody want to tell me what the very best bit of the last two weeks was? Is anyone going to find voice? Yes, what was the best bit? Christmas. What was the best bit of Christmas for you? Hey, that's what I thought you'd say. I know that if Esther and Daniel were here, that's exactly what they would say. Because we love presents, don't we? We love presents in our house, and I'm sure it's the same in all of your houses. Now, what I want you to do is think about one particular present that you were given by somebody in your family, boys and girls. Try and get it in your head. Have you all thought of just one? Yeah? I want you to think... What does that tell you about that person in your family? Now, I know when I think of the present um, from the person in my family, it tells me a couple of things about them. It tells me that they love me. It tells me that they value me. And it tells me that they know me really, really well. Is that similar to you? A wee bit? Yeah? In a few minutes, I'm going to be reading to you um, about three very special presents that were brought to Jesus at Christmas time at, at, on his birthday. Because, of course, Christmas is Jesus' birthday. Can anybody tell me what these three very special presents were? Do you know? Hey, we've got, you're going to go for it again. Good man. What, what, what were they? You can't remember their names. Mm. Does anybody think? Yeah, go for it. Good man. Gold Frankenstein and Myrrh. Gold Frankincense and Myrrh. Excellent. Good man. (laughs) Well done. Well done. Now, I know that you'll all know what gold is. Don't we all know what gold is? Yeah. But I imagine not too many of you have much, if any, gold lying about the house. Because I know I don't. And the reason we don't have much gold is because gold's really expensive. It's really valuable and it's very rare. And you know, boys and girls, that's the same with frankincense and myrrh. Did you know that frankincense and myrrh are types of perfume? Maybe some of you knew that. No? Well, they're types of perfume, but they're also really expensive, really valuable, and really, really rare. And Whenever I have been, oh, hang on now, let me just get my wee prompts here. Um, They are very strange gifts to bring to a baby. Would you agree with me? Yeah, could you imagine bringing those to um, a newborn baby today? No, they're very odd. And when I thought about this, it seemed like they were presents for um, a really special person or a really important person. In fact, they seemed like presents for royalty. They seemed like the kind of presents you might bring to a king. And that's exactly what they were. These were presents that were for a king. This was the way um, that the magi, we sometimes call them wise men, that these wise men were saying that this little baby was like no other baby. This little baby was actually a king. But not just a king. This little baby was the king. 
this little baby was the Messiah, the Son of God. Because Christmas is Jesus' birthday, I wonder if anybody here thought about giving him a present instead of getting the presents. Did anybody think about what you could give to him? No, (laughs) we sometimes forget about that. But it's really important that we think about what we can give Jesus on his birthday. And we can't give him gifts like the the Magi gave to him. But we can give him something else, something that's really special, really important. We can give Jesus the gift of our love. And when I was thinking about this, I wondered how that might look in our lives. And you know, the gift of our love is actually really connected to the gift of our time. Because when you love something or someone, don't you want to spend lots of time with them or with that person? Because I know I do. When I first met Paul, whom you all know very well, um, when I first met Paul, and I should say, still, I want to spend lots of time with him. I wanted to get to know him really, really well. And that helped my love for him to grow. Exactly the same with Esther and Daniel. I want to spend as much time with them as I can. And the time that we spend together helps our love to grow and develop. It helps me learn more about them. And um, it helps us unite together. And you know, that's exactly the same as with God. If we're going to give God the gift of our love, we need to give him the gift of our time. And that means we want to spend time thinking about God. We want to think about Jesus. We want to ask questions. We want to learn about him, explore and investigate. We want to read about him and think about him. And you know, I think that would be an even better gift than anything our money could buy. And on Christmas uh, morning, for those of you that were here, um, my Paul was talking, not Paul Bailey, my Paul was talking about um, the lamplighter outside our church building. Do you remember? Yeah, the big picture of the lamplighter. Uh, Do you remember what the lamplighter is also called? Another word beginning with L. See if anyone remembers. Yeah? Did you say, what did you say? Leary. Fabulous. People were listening. Well done. The lamplighter or the leary outside our church reminds us of how we can proclaim or show God's love to the world. And that's what we're going to sing about now. We're going to sing, stand together and sing um, the song, This Little Light of Mine. Move. Oh, there we go. We've got, sorry about that. Um, boys and girls, a little bit of a tease to see um, that you're to go out to Sunday Club. That's not until next week, unfortunately. But hopefully you find in your pews the colouring pages and some uh, pencils and uh, crayons to colour in. Um, there are some puzzles and things there. At the end of the service, just leave all um, the materials that you're, um, that you're not taking with you, the colouring pencils um, and spare sheets, and uh, they'll be collected at the end. So just leave them in the pews um, at the end of the service. <clears throat> Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east 
came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out for them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I'd like to welcome the Reverend Dr. Paul Bailey uh, this morning and his wife Anne. Anne is a good friend of mine and it's just wonderful to have them with us this morning. I'd like to pray with Paul before he speaks with us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for Paul, for the time he has spent preparing for this morning and the thoughts that he will share with us. Be with him now and be with us. welcome and uh, my thanks also to the convener of the the vacancy for the invitation to speak but it really is a great pleasure and a privilege for me to be in Kirkpatrick here. I have many many dear friends here in the the congregation and there are people here I'm not going to name names but were very influential in my spirit when I was a young man. I can imagine you know who I'm speaking of and uh, so it really is a great pleasure for me to be here today. Chronologically speaking, the, the visit of the wise men to the infant Jesus seems to come a little bit after his birth. Uh, very often, as it's portrayed to us uh, in nativity scenes and elsewhere, it seems to be
tell you now, I'll be away homeless up, so <laughs> remind to take it off me. Let's just look at the, some of the, the characters that are here in this particular chapter. Um, the, the first that is mentioned, King Herod. We don't speak much about King Herod. He's one of the most appalling villains of the whole biblical narrative, a man really in whom there is nothing good to be found. Who was he? Well, first and foremost, I think the most important thing to to grasp about Herod was that he was a Roman political appointee. He wasn't a legitimate king of Israel. In fact, he was a foreigner wasn't descended from the the kings uh, of Israel. And he was a supreme political opportunist and utterly ruthless. The historical record tells us that he actually assassinated his own wife and some of his own children. That tells you all you really need to know about him. Sometimes he's called Herod the Great, but there was nothing great about him except perhaps his architectural works he liked big architecture, and he was the one who started the rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple, not out of any great piety, of course, but simply because he enjoyed uh, these big architectural projects. He, he also, I am told, uh, engaged in, in building pagan temples as well. He just enjoyed building. There's no uh, actual faith evident there whatsoever. The next character that we meet in this narrative then are the the wise men, the magi, who have come a great distance from the east. And uh, Emma very uh, very appropriately gave us a little bit of poetry at the beginning of the service, and I'm going to give you a little bit of poetry too, because um, about 35 years ago, Stanley Mills of this parish introduced me to T.S. Eliot, but I have to confess it was my own dear wife who introduced me to the journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. And why I want to mention this is simply that I think this poem sums up the, the difficulty of the journey that they have just made. I'm not going to read it all, but just little, little fragments of it. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey and such a long journey. The way's deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the camel's galled, sore-footed refractory lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. And the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty, and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. These possibly three men had a hard time of it, no doubt about that, coming hundreds and hundreds of miles from the east. We don't exactly know where they came from. They probably came from Persia. By tradition, they were kings. That's very hard to substantiate, but they were certainly people who were astronomers and, to some extent, astrologers who looked into the heavens and used their intellect 
to discern the signs that were there in the sky. And in the providence of God, it had been revealed to them that a king was being born. And so they followed the star that they had spotted, and it brought them all the way to Israel. But they had to start somewhere in their search, and they went to the most obvious place. They went to the royal palace in Jerusalem. And, of course, there was no true king resident in that particular palace. There was just the murderous, lying, villainous Herod. But it was very reasonable on their part to to go there to try and find out what was going on. And we see Herod immediately responding to their inquiries with his entirely typical cunning and deception and penchant for brutality. He knows of no royal child being born, and so he summons, as any right-thinking person does, he summoned his Old Testament experts and said, what do the Scriptures teach us about the coming of the Messiah? And so, surrounded now by his Bible experts and the, the people who knew the Word of God very well, they say, well, Your Highness, uh, Micah 5 verse 2 tells us that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. It's very important, of course, because there are other Bethlehems. There's actually a Bethlehem up in Galilee, but this is Bethlehem of Judea. And this is not going to be just any baby. This is going to be a baby in the line of David, the very Messiah. Now, this should invoke all kinds of joy in Jerusalem. But in fact, it invokes the very opposite. It invokes disquietude It invokes, I suspect, terror. Because someone like Herod, who knows ultimately that he is an imposter, must realize then, this is a threat to me being on the throne. If the Messiah has actually come, this could spell the end of my political authority and power and all the privilege that goes with that. And immediately Herod begins to plot and to scheme. Instantaneously, it is presented to us. He says disingenuously to the Magi, he says, well, you go and find where he is, and then I want to go and worship him. You you find the way. And so, in all innocence, the Magi now set out to go and locate the baby. But Herod intends to manipulate the information that they will bring back in order, well, as we will see, to murder that child. But the Magi now have all that they need. They have been guided to the right place by the the power of their intellect and their observation of the heavens the very heavens fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy that they would declare the glory of the Lord, and also now equipped with the 
specific teaching of the Old Testament Scriptures, they're able to make their way precisely to where they need to go. And they get to the right house, continuing to be guided by the star, and they find the child. Now, we don't know much about the Magi. Like I say, we believe that they're from the East. There are various interpretations within Christian tradition of their social status. Many people see that their coming from the East to worship the child in Bethlehem is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that kings would come and worship at the feet of the Messiah. Other people interpret it as meaning that it's a fulfillment of prophecies from Isaiah and Jeremiah that representatives of the nations would make their way and worship. But whatever way you you look at this, we see that this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that people from outside of Israel would come and they would acknowledge that the, the baby Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God who had been sent for the salvation of the world. And so these magi, these pagan astronomers, maybe people of high social status, maybe even kings, come and they find the child and they make the only appropriate response to encountering the Messiah. They sink to their knees and they worship him. And notice that word worship. They they worship him. They worship him as God. They're not merely coming to pay political obeisance to a, a royal figure. They have come to worship the one who is truly God, the one whom the Apostle Paul reminds us the fullness of deity dwelt. And Emma gave us a very beautiful children's address today, very appropriate. There, the, these wise men, they present to the Messiah gifts that are fit for a Messiah, fit for the very king, the king of kings. After this, we see God continuing to work in miraculous ways. We, we have seen God miraculously bring these magi from the east, and now we see God intervene miraculously in two ways to thwart Herod's plans. First of all, the Magi themselves are warned in a dream by God not to go back via Jerusalem. It is revealed to them that Herod is a dangerous, wicked, evil man. And so they take the alternative route home. And there were a number of roads in ancient Israel that would have allowed them to do that, an even longer and harder route home. But then, more to the point, Herod's plans are also thwarted by an angel appearing to Joseph. Not the first time that an angel has appeared to Joseph. He knows to pay close attention to them, and he is warned that it is the plan of Herod to kill the child, and therefore, They must get out. 
They have to flee to Egypt. And in those days, there was a very large Jewish population in Egypt, particularly at Alexandria, and there they were able to go and find uh, a place of safety until the Lord brought them back to Israel. If we were to continue reading on in this particular chapter, we would see that both the flight to Egypt and Herod's subsequent murderous and vile decision to kill the infants of Bethlehem are also fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy. And so, from beginning to end, we see in this particular narrative, we see how God is overruling all these events, that He is acting with His supernatural and His sovereignty to bring about the the situation that He wants. And I think we see a number of things that we can then apply to our own lives in this, things that we can understand are important for us to grasp, things that make a difference to us. The first thing I think this, this whole narrative says to us is it teaches us a great deal about God Himself. It teaches us something about the Old Testament Scriptures, that the, the Lord had caused the Old Testament Scriptures in so many places to point to Christ. And time and time again in this particular narrative, we see how the Old Testament points to Christ and that the coming of the Messiah fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, in very plain terms, what we can see from that is that what God says comes true. He promised a Messiah. He sent the Messiah. He said in his Old Testament prophecy that that same Messiah would be rejected by many in Israel, and we see that being the case right up to Herod, as the first chapter of John reminds us, his own did not receive him. But it also said that he would be Savior to the nations. And this is demonstrated then from the outset by the fact that the representatives of the nations, these these magi, these kings, come and they arrive in, in, in Bethlehem and they worship the Messiah right from the outset. God's promises come true. All of God's promises come true. So we as Christians today, we know that we serve a God who does not break His Word to us. He has promised us full and complete salvation in Christ. We can have complete confidence in that promise. He has promised us that Christ will come again we can have full and complete confidence in that. He has promised us that the day will come when Christ will reign all in all and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess 
that that baby of Bethlehem is Lord and Savior. And we can have complete confidence in that. So, this narrative teaches us a lot about God and His Word. It also gives us a contrast and a comparison between Herod and the wise men. It's not explicitly stated here, but in many ways, Herod can be seen as a symbol of all that is worst in human nature. That desire for power, that desire for, well, a desire to usurp God. Herod should, upon hearing of the coming of the Messiah, he too should have bowed the knee. But yet we see in him that desire to exalt himself and to cling on to all that he had, to raise himself and to put down the Messiah, indeed to murder the Messiah. And it's that kind of wickedness that we see, it goes right back to the Garden of Eden and that desire for people to be like God. So Herod is in so many ways here a negative example for us, someone to be feared, someone whose view of the world is to be rejected. He cared only for himself. He cared nothing for the things of God. But let's think again of the, the Magi, and again, I, I want to just say a few words from T.S. Eliot, the end of the poem, because again, I think he, he puts it very, very well here. All this was a long time ago. I remember, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and had no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought that they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease there, the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. What Eliot is, is saying there is that these, these magi were utterly transformed by their encounter with the Messiah. They might have come as pagan stargazers, but they left as worshippers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is one of the, the images that we find in the New Testament that what, what Eliot is speaking of here is of, of a death that leads to birth. And he's speaking of all kinds of things there, perhaps. He's perhaps speaking of the fact that Jesus was born to die for us, and that's certainly very important. But I suspect the other image that he is calling upon here is that whenever we are born again by the Holy Spirit of God into faith in Jesus Christ, 
The thing is that the old nature has to die, that we become less and less subject to the old nature, and Christ must increase within us more and more. I leave you with with this thought. As we enter into a, a new year, and I wish you all God's richest blessing in the year ahead, Let us remind ourselves of that need to die to the old self, to increase in our adherence to Christ, to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us in ever-increasing ways, that that old nature would die. Let it be a year where we truly do sink to our knees and truly proclaim Christ is the Lord of our entire lives. When we set aside our past, we set aside all that is negative, all that is holding us back from life in Christ, and move forward in the one who gives us new life. Let us pray. Father God, we give you thanks for the wise men. We thank you for the example that they set before us in so many different ways. But we thank you of the the picture of transformation that we see there, of fresh spiritual life, the putting to death of the old sinful way and new life in Christ. And we pray, Lord God, that you would fill us with that new life, that throughout the days ahead that we would bring honor and glory to his precious and saving name. And we pray in that same name. Amen. And our closing congregational praise now is Once in Royal David's City. Thank you, Paul. Please join with me now in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Father God, the news this week is yet again filled with COVID statistics and data. Fears mount as we move into the hard winter months. We ask that you would be with those who are sick, who are scared, who are sore. For those who have lost loved ones and who live with daily dread, we ask that you would be with them. Father, as the health service faces increased pressure and the impact of staff shortages is felt by patients suffering from other illnesses, we ask that you would be with those trying to navigate an impossible situation. Lord God, we recognize that in our comfortable affluence of the first world, we have participated in this crisis by keeping vaccines for ourselves rather than sharing with other nations. We put our own safety and fear of the future above the immediate needs of others who are far away. Forgive our selfishness. Forgive our greed. In the midst of uncertainty, help us to remember that you are unchanging, steady, 
secure. We thank you for your mercy, your forgiveness, and your love. Amen. We're going to sing one final song. I I know Paul said that uh, (laughs) it was our last, but it's not. So please join with me. And uh, as we sing together, Name of All Majesty. Um, Just before the benediction, two very brief announcements. Um, Next week, we'll be back to the DG Rota system for booking into services. Uh, I think it was on a previous email, but Paul will send out an email later this week um, to confirm who is attending when or who is able to book and when. And a second announcement, just a reminder that DGs are happening differently this term and that the first men's Bible study is Wednesday week. Again, that will be confirmed in the email. May the God of love, who shared his love, strengthen us in our love for others. May the Son, who shared his life, grant us grace that we might share our life. And may the Holy Spirit dwelling in us empower us to be only and always for others. Amen.